You are looking really good today. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. Not quite as good as you look, apparently. Yeah. Well, we're going to have some fun today, and uh, I just am so glad that you're here. To You've already made this celebration better by being here. My name's Jared, and I get to give the talk today, and, uh, and I hope that while I'm talking, that God's speaking to you, and that you go away with some special gifts that he has for you. Well, uh, you know, a, a pastor friend was giving a talk to children before the sermon to the tall people, and he asked the kids a question, very dangerous thing to do. So he asked them, uh, do you know what the resurrection means? And of course, one little guy piped up and he said, yeah. He said, so the resurrection is if, if you have one longer than four hours, you, you're supposed to call a doctor. That's what he said. Yeah. Dangerous to ask kids questions. Yeah. Dangerous to let me out on Easter. Yeah. So I just want you to know that's as bad as it's going to get right there. Now, there's going to be some other bad jokes, but they're not going to be quite as edgy. So... Lighten up with me a little bit here. We take God very seriously at Evergreen, not ourselves so much, and uh, we have a good time hearing from him. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I got to watch the men's basketball NCAA semifinals in Phoenix, Arizona. And that was the seat that I bought for myself, right right there. I felt a, a a little bit ripped off because that seat was $525 for two games. But I felt better because one of our council members, uh, you know, Nick, Nick and Kayla, Van Lu, they were there. You were in my same section. So I want you to know you not only have cheap pastors, you have cheap council members. <laughs> so we were uh, kind of enjoying each other. You know, there's not a lot to do when you're watching a basketball game from the fourth level in a football stadium. You might as well talk to each other. Uh, theoretically, you know that something is happening down there on the court. And I was uh, watching Gonzaga uh, uh, as they beat Southern Carolina, South Carolina, and then I was all poised for the Oregon-North Carolina game. That's why I was there. Now, Ann's brother Joe, he hobnobs with the rich and the famous. Personal friends with Zag's coach, Mark Few, and hangs out with major donors to the program. This was not Joe's view. (laughs) Joe was courtside, but he's a nice brother-in-law, and he was texting me during the game. He said, why don't you come on down to the you know, the, the, the first lobby level where the good people are and we can chat between the two games. And so I left my lousy seat and uh, I'm not an escalator or an elevator person. I'm a stairs person. That's why I'm this physical specimen that I am, which, uh, especially when the stairs are going down. So I joined a broad stairway with lots of other people and we worked our way down to the first level and I popped out onto a little patio area and I came back around and I showed my phone at the little gate and I saw Joe inside and they looked at my ticket and they said, it's invalid. I said, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, this ticket's valid. Trust me, it's really, really valid for two games, especially the next one. She said, no, sir, you stepped outside. That's what I said. Really, did I now? Now, I'm still inside of security, but I'm not inside the building technically. She said, that's why we have people at every exit telling you that you can't come back in if you leave. I said, there was no one at my exit. She said, show me where you came out. And I showed her and she said, too bad for you. We didn't have anybody there. So I was persistent. I wasn't, uh, well, I was better than usual. (laughs) I was persistent. I talked to three levels of security and they all assured me, sir, your ticket is invalid. So I call Joe. I see him inside. I call him and I say, I'm headed to the car. It's a sports bar or it's a, you know, the car radio, but I'm not going to see my ducks play. He said, wait, 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 just a minute. 20 minutes later, he called. He had a ticket for me. 
You see, he talked with his big donor buddy who went to the locker room where the Zags were celebrating their victory and texted the ticket guy inside the locker room. Locker room ticket guy had one more ticket, brought it out to big donor, gave it to Joe. Joe and I rendezvoused. Now, you understand, Joe can't come out and give it to me. You understand? <laughs> so we found a little fence that he was slipping it through. It looked like a bad drug deal going on here. It's just, I'm pulling this ticket through it. I, I popped around, and this was my view of the ducks. Oh, oh, awesome. And Nick and Kayla, I didn't forget you. This is what you looked like from where I was, where I was sitting up there in those bad seats up there in that bad corner over there. Well, here's the deal, friends. Here's the deal. When I was far away, I didn't see very clearly. But when I got close, I saw really clearly. And today, my hope and my prayer has been for you that as we come close to God today at this time and at this place, that you'll see God in some brand new and fresh and clearer ways, and that you'll understand and appreciate the resurrection a little bit better as well. I'm going to ask you to jump right in with me. If you have handouts, fill in the blanks. Here we go. Let's go to the bottom line. The big idea is this. God is a life giver. Now, I know that not everyone, and probably not everyone here, believes that today. In fact, some of you might be saying, you know, I think that God is a life taker. I think he's a joy squasher. I think life, God is a life diminisher. Now, I want to talk to you about that today and talk about three layers of life that God gives us. And at each point, I'm going to make some claims and some assertions that come out of Scripture And then as always here at Evergreen, you're going to get to make a decision about uh, what you choose to do with that information. But I want to jump right in and I want to talk about a level of life that all of us share. Life 1.0. Notice in your outline, all life is a miracle and only God can create it. Here's my belief. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, The breath you breathed today and the life that you woke up into a new day with was, in fact, a gift from God. In fact, right at the beginning of human history, in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, and you can follow along as I read it, God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. I want you to remember those last two words, living soul. That's where we're going to come around and wrap in a few minutes. See, here's the deal. Life is a miracle, and it comes from God. Now, if you don't believe that this week, you can test this out. Go ahead, take your phone, run the battery all the way down to zero. And then if you can generate life, just blow right here into this portal. Just blow in just as long and as hard as you want. Just blow into that and go ahead and let the battery generate all the way back into 100%. What are you going to get? Yeah, probably nothing. Because when, when God blows breath into something, it's life. When I blow on something, if it's dust, it flies. If it's papers, they scatter. And if I have bad breath and I blow on people, they scatter as well. That's pretty much what I generate on the exhale. Our belief is that life is a miracle and that God made it. In one of the ancient poems in the Bible, we call it Psalm 36, verse 9. It says, you are the giver of life. 
Your light lets us enjoy life. Mm. Enjoy life. All of us. Think back to one of the highlights of your last week. I don't know that this was the highlight, but it started out pretty well after three services. Last Sunday morning, we went out for brunch at the Thirsty Lion. And they had a new brunch entree. Now, it was totally cheating. I don't remember the name of it, but basically it was loaded nachos. And then they put an egg on the top and called it brunch. It was fantastic. I want you to know. I knew all the way through it. I was cheating, but I called it brunch. It was wonderful. Listen, all of what you enjoy in life, the food that you enjoy, the friendships you enjoy, the the closeness and relationships, fulfillment that you might get from school or from job, relationships, all that you enjoy with life is a gift from God along with the breath that he gives us. Trust me, he could have made all of your food taste like Brussels sprouts. Yeah. But he gave you variety. He gave you bacon and ice cream and... uh, you know, uh, Doritos, three basic food groups. He loves you. Yeah. Everything you enjoy in life, your favorite sports team, your hobby, your, uh, the closeness of friendships, intimacy in your marriage is a gift of God. He came to give us good life. And my question for you as we wrap up the first layer of life, life 1.0 is this. When's the last time you just woke up grateful for life and said, God, thank you? Today on this Easter Sunday, maybe it's a good opportunity for all of us to say, God, thank you. I'm grateful for life. But let's peel it back down to the second level, life 2.0. Here's the premise. You can read it with me. A life connected to Jesus brings greater vitality and meaning. Greater vitality and meaning. So this speaks to quality of life, meaning and purpose. It's kind of this existential experience that we have as humans. Now, there might be two groups of people here that are kind of pushing back on me with that premise. Let me just identify and understand where you might be coming from. If you're not a Christ follower, you might be saying to me, I do not see God as bringing greater vitality and meaning. In fact, I kind of have a sense about God that maybe he is a life taker and a joy diminisher and that he would like to limit my pleasure in life. By the way, that is the first and we call the original lie. God wants something from you. A second group of people who might be here today are people who have genuinely followed Christ, but maybe you've become rather discouraged and disappointed in how that's worked out. Because maybe you were told that things were going to go hunky and dory. And maybe life has not been quite as flawless and spotless and perfect as you anticipated. Well, let's think about that for a moment. This this proposition that life connected to Jesus brings greater vitality and meaning. Let's go right to the source, to Jesus himself. And John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. It's the thief that approaches with malicious intent, looking to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come, I've come to give life with joy and abundance. Here's Jesus' promise. He's come to give you life 2.0. Life is better connected to me, he says. You can come right now and life can be better. Hmm. How does that work? 
And why don't we often always believe that? I heard a friend of mine tell a story. He's 32 years old, a guy, tell the story of that recently he had bumped into one of his high school buddies. They hadn't seen each other for high school, since high school. My friend, married, has a kid, is a pastor. His buddy is not married, is finishing up a PhD. He teaches and he lives the lifestyle of an undergrad on spring break. And so these two guys are bumping into each other and and the friend is asked, what do you do? He says, well, you know, I'm a pastor. And his buddy said, I'm not surprised that you're a pastor. I mean, I remember that you got really religious back in high school. And I, I can see that for you. But he said, you know, I could never be a religious guy like you. My friend said, why not? He said, well, because I really like my life. <laughs> I have girlfriends. Uh, I'm on a great career path. I have summers off to travel and goof off and And if I was religious like you, I think God would mess up my life. That's what he said. Now, he's not the only person that's ever had that thought, is he? Yeah, of course not. And Jesus said this in John 10.10. He said, the original lie came from the one who actually is the life taker. He's actually the liar, the deceiver, the stealer, and the destroyer. And the ultimate truth, Jesus says, is that I am the life giver. And I have come to give it to you more abundantly. In fact, the truth is the opposite of the original lie. Here it is. Take this one home. God is not trying to take something from you. God wants something for you. Life 2.0. In fact, God is so sincere about that, he wants you to actually do the test taste. The original challenge came from God. We read about it in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says this, go ahead, taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who take refuge in him. This challenge comes from God, a good God who can make life even better. A God who's unlimited in love and vitality and goodness pursues you and invites you to come and taste his life. Try him. Now, I just need to talk for a minute. We've got to tell you, we keep it real around here. You and I know that some Christians have swallowed the stupid pill. You know that. You know, there are some folks that take this premise and they just explode it out into a non-reality. If you choose Jesus, you'll drive a Rolls Royce. No, you probably won't. I know most of you. You're not going to drive a Rolls Royce unless you're stinking rich and have a really good job to boot, okay? There's some stupid out there, and you've come across it. I know. It's on TV and radio and blogs and, you know, podcasts and People who suggest that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be richer, thinner, and smarter. If that were true, would I stand before you like this this morning? Yeah. yeah. What Jesus said, in fact, is, and I'm glad that you're seated because you thought you came today to be pumped up. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, thank you very much, Jared. I am glad that I came on Easter Sunday. But he goes on to say, but have hope because I have overcome the world. Yeah. 
So this is life 2.0. It's not the absence of trouble, folks. We live in a broken place with broken people. But Jesus said this, in the middle of your real life right now, I have come to give you a quality of 2.0 life right now. In the middle of brokenness, I've come to give you a quality of abundance. In fact, in the Bible, life 2.0 is described in Galatians chapter 5, and it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And it says that when you become a follower of Christ, God turns toward you. And when you turn toward God and receive the gift of forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, and identify as these eight and 21 will across our services this weekend, identify with the death and the burial and then the resurrection of Christ. When we receive that gift of forgiveness, that the Holy Spirit who was working on us is now working in us. So that in the troubled life that we live we can reach inside and pull out love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In this world, you will have trouble, but have hope, for I have overcome the world. This is the life that Jesus intended for us. Now, let me ask you, are some of you married here today? Three or four of you are willing to admit that. That's, that's a good start. It's a good starting point if you are, yeah, yeah. So let me ask, would your marriage be better or worse if it had a whole lot more love and joy and peace and patience, etc. in it? Would it be better? Would yours be worse? Many of you did not vote. You're still thinking that over. Well, if there was a little more love and joy, I, would it be better or would it be worse? We're going to pray for... We're going to pray for your spouse. Yes. <laughs> My single friends, in your relationships, your place of work, would, those, would that place be better or worse if tomorrow morning people came just overflowing with love and joy and peace, etc.? Sure, better. Students, love it that you're here today. Tomorrow at school, in your relationships with your classmates, would your school be a better place or a worse place, worse place if it was just flooded with love and joy and peace, etc.? Of course, it'd be a better place. That's the promise that Jesus has given for us in life 2.0. So it brings us to the third layer that we're going to peel back and finish up with today, and it's life 3.0. Notice the premise and the claim. Eternal life is both an invitation, and a promise. So first we've seen that God is a life giver, that he gives us everything that we enjoy now about life, our job, our friends, our family and places, life 1.0. Second, we've seen that God has come to give Christ followers a quality of life that is an experience, even in the middle of brokenness, of his abundance, life 2.0. And then he offers for us life 3.0. In 1 John 5.13, notice what's said from Scripture. I am writing all of this to you who have entrusted your lives to the Son of God so that you will realize 
Eternal life is already yours. Wow. Already yours. The scripture makes two claims. First, that life 3.0 is an invitation. It's extended to everyone. You can receive it and move into eternal life if you choose to. And then life 3.0 is a promise, and it's already yours. It's not just something to wait for, but it's a dimension of life that's available to you right now. Your body, life on this planet, space and time, is not all that you are about. But remember the last two words of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, a living soul. That's the God breath in you. You are different from all of creation. You are breathed into with the life of God himself, God breath in God's image. You were destined to be an eternal being connected with God. And that's what we celebrated a few minutes ago when friends were being baptized and It's no surprise that for the first few centuries of the church that many Christians wanted to be baptized on Easter Sunday. It just seemed to be a great way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in that identification with his death because the Bible's clear. The result of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And while God had designed this beautiful harmony of relationships perfectly aligned with him, with humanity, and with nature, death created separation there. Jesus, God's son, came to pay that price of death. And so we identify with his death and then with his burial and come up out of that watery tomb in a celebration of resurrection life, demonstrating new life that really happened because of Christ's forgiveness in our life. In fact, when we become a new person in Christ, we become a new person, resurrection, resurrected and raised to that new life. Before I conclude today, I just have to tell you a a bad joke, okay? You ready for this? But I need to ask a question, first of all. How many of you are from the Great Lakes, or you have ancestors who are from the Great Lakes region? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. You all sit toward the back. You're all a little bit reserved. You're Norwegian. I understand that. But you you might be interested in being reconnected to one of your cousins, Ole. Ole moved to a new town, and he was the only Lutheran in a town of all Catholics. Now, everybody liked Ole, and he liked his friends, and they got along quite well, except on Fridays. Ole always barbecued steak in the backyard on Friday. And the Catholic friends would go by, and they would smell that steak, smell wafting over in the barbecue. And of course, they couldn't eat red meat on Friday, and Ole got on their nerves. So they got together and they conspired and they went over to Oli's house and they said, Oli, we've been thinking about you. We like you a lot, Oli. You're the only Lutheran in town and it's many miles to go to the next Lutheran church. So why don't you join our church and become a Catholic? And Oli thought that over and he decided that his friends were onto something. And so they set it up with the priest. The big day came. And the priest had Oli kneel down and he put his hand on Oli's head and he, he said, Oli, you were born a Lutheran, raised a Lutheran, and then he sprinkled on some holy water and now you are a Catholic. And Oli stood up and they all celebrated. 
But they didn't touch each other because they were Norwegian. (laughs) Things went well that week until Friday night. All of a sudden, the neighbors noticed that there was the familiar smell of barbecued steak coming off of Ollie's backyard. And so they went over to have a chat with him about this. And when they got close, they heard Ollie saying something strangely familiar as he sprinkled salt on his steak. You were born a beef, you were raised a beef, and now you are a fish. (laughs) Really, we're almost done. Really, really. So here's the deal. Baptism is a symbol of an inner miracle that's taking place. It's not just a game that we play, and it's not just, you know, you were born a sinner, you were raised a sinner, and splash, now you are a saint. No, you really are a new person. Fundamentally, substantially, eternally different which is why Paul writes to his friends in 1 Corinthians 5.17, and he says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus said it this way in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the source of all life. Those who believe in me will live even in death. Your destiny from the beginning was to be a living soul connected to God forever, his original intention. And God intended for your life to be far beyond your wildest dreams. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 2.9, quoting the ancient prophet Isaiah said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's end with this exercise. I want you to think about the top five or ten most exhilarating people or places in your life that you've experienced. Maybe for Ann and me, it would be whitewater rafting in Wyoming. Maybe it would be going to a U2 concert in Cardinal Stadium. What are your top five things in life? Maybe it's the first time you and your spouse kissed. Maybe it's the first time you and your spouse did that other thing that generated children. I don't know what's on your list, but most exhilarating moments in life. And here's the promise of God. The rest of your eternal life is going to be a series of experiences with God that eclipse your most exaggerant, extravagant, wonderful experience so far beyond your wildest dreams. So the exercise is this, with life 1.0. When was the last time you were just grateful for life? Today we can say to him, I am grateful, life giver. Life 2.0, my question for you, is, for you is, are you joyous in life right now? I think God's done his part on this. If you're not, maybe it's on your side of that relational equation. Today is it's your day to say, God, I receive 
your joy, the fruit of the fullness of your spirit in my life. Life 3.0. Here's my question. Are you living in a hope and confidence of eternity with God through Jesus? If you're not today, you could have that confidence before you leave. And it's by inwardly doing what eight of our friends expressed outwardly. It's by the receiving of the forgiveness of Christ that came through his life and his death on your behalf, his burial on your behalf, his coming back to life and the resurrection on your behalf, and you're accepting the gift of the profound meaning of that, that you can be completely forgiven, restored to a perfect relationship with God, and confident and full of hope about an extravagant eternity with him. Going to invite you as the band gives the gift of this song to listen two ways. Listen to the lyrics they sing and listen to what God is whispering in your heart. You are beloved. Beloved.